half one at a time. I'm Brad. And Dave. And today we're here to discuss Minute 39 of The Lost World. Dave, last week we uh, talked a bit about SDCC and uh, some of the new reveals from Chronicle over there. Um, mm-hmm. You were you were nearly on the money when you said you wanted a, a desktop T-Rex. Uh, one correction, we're going to do the uh, what we thought was the breakout T-Rex in that display was actually a lot smaller, uh, more cost-effective, collectible. Um, its exact size wasn't made known, but uh, apparently it's a lot smaller, a lot smaller T-Rex that you could uh, have on your desk at work. Yeah, Chronicle did create these uh, smaller, ver- did create the smaller version of the breakout T-Rex for the more economically minded collector, so that they can they can put it in their like on a desktop or something like that at work, and so it doesn't take up a lot of space. So it's great for if you don't have a lot of money and if you don't have a lot of space. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. Now it's not the uh, tranquilized Rex in a cage, but uh, it's halfway there. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. One other thing we didn't really report on either, there was uh, a very blurry shot of a couple of uh, prototype Matchbox cars or vehicles from uh, Jurassic World that were on display as well. Um, mm-hmm. Claire's Mercedes and uh, Owen's motorcycle, which probably aren't uh, my preferred go-tos to start with, but it's a sign that uh, they are doing some uh, Matchbox vehicles in the line. Which I'm excited to see what comes out of that in the future. Oh, definitely. I would love to get some of the like the bigger scale that they do. That I, I'm not sure. I'm not into cars, uh, collecting cars, so I'm not really sure the various scales. But they got the one that's like about the size of your palm of your, and not the size of, about the size of your hand. I'd just love to see like a trail, like the trailers or the Lost World Mercedes in that scale. You know. The trail is my first thing I was thinking about, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need more toys of those. We do. We do. Mm. Back in the day, Matchbox actually released when they had the, the Lost World um, license, and they were doing all those, little, those the Lost World toys based on the village and a couple other things. I think they had a raptor skull as well. There was like a little playset folded out into a little playset. And they had a trailer. It was just the front end, though. So I'd love to see a full, complete trailer. Yeah. It kind of folded out. It was kind of micro-machine scaled as well. Yeah, because you had the uh, the Matchbox stuff, then you had the smaller, almost like uh, Mighty Max. Um, yeah. The little, yeah, little sort of all-in-one playset, you know, because um, uh-huh. there was the operations building as well, which I'm still desperate to get. Um, yeah. And some smaller stuff, but yeah, I've got I've got most of that Matchbox stuff, um, and it's fine. Nice little sort of trucks and Unimogs with engine logos on them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I got some of that stuff too. The Rex Rage Rig was a lot of fun, and then there's I still have that, and I actually think that the T Rex in there that was actually like my first actual vision of what the male T Rex in the second Jurassic Park movie was. There's this just a uh, molted dark green. Yeah. It's kind of red, but there's also all these other great colors thrown in as well that you don't really get to see. But I was honestly a little disappointed when I was a kid, and I found the first pictures of the male T-Rex, and I found out it wasn't just plain black, uh, like black and green. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was great we got that sort of detail out of a Matchbox figure too. 
Yeah, you did. You got some great details, and they had the little tiny metal figurine guys. They had Dieter and stuff like that. Came with the uh, looked like a pickup truck or something, and it came with a little Velociraptor. Yeah, yep. I dog chewed the Raptor, so the paint was is kind of chipped to hell. <laughs> <laughs> ah, very good, very good. Yeah, Matchbox did some really great work back in the day, and I'm looking, I'm looking forward to see what they do more. No. Yeah, they done a couple of things for Jurassic World. Um, and they did. It sort they of got couple, like but, car packs. Yeah, and it sort of got a little bit too far away from the source material. I know. Yeah. Yes, a lot of the uh, a lot of the Matchbox stuff for the Lost World was out there, but um, it sort of still had that feel, the color schemes mm-hmm. and all that. Um, yeah. Even stuff like the gas station playset and that. Like, yes, it wasn't the one yeah. from Sauna, but it was good. It was decayed. It was broken down. Uh-huh. Um, it's not going to have a big sign or billboard on it saying the Lost World Site B. <laughs> uh-huh. But, um, yeah, there was just some weird stuff in that Jurassic World Matchbox line. I think the only thing worth getting was the uh, helicopter, Masrani's helicopter. Um, yeah. Most of it was all just sort of monster trucks with a Jurassic World logo on it. But... Mm-hmm. Anyway, we could go on about that for <laughs> all night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, uh... If there's anything else you want to bring up, do you want to get into Minute 39? I think we pretty much covered everything. Alright. As we ended the 38th minute of The Lost World, Roland and RJ discover a footprint for their quarry and call Burke over to confirm. As we start the 39th minute of The Lost World, Roland asks Burke if he recognises a trackway. Burke said yes he does. Tyrannosaur. At 38 minutes and 8 seconds, we cut to Roland standing beside his jeep, assembling what looks like a shotgun, but is really a custom Nitro 600. As he's assembling his rifle, a hardtop jeep pulls to a stop, and Peter Ludlow climbs out, calling Roland. With his eyes fixed on the prize, Roland ignores Ludlow and begins walking off into the jungle. At 38 minutes and 20 seconds, Ludlow asks Roland, where do you think you're going? Roland replies, to collect my fee, Mr. Ludlow, to collect my fee. At 38 minutes and 26 seconds, as Roland walks off to meet RJ, Ludlow's foot sploshes down into a puddle. Ludlow looks down to reveal the Tyrannosaur footprint. At 38 minutes and 30 seconds, we cut to Dieter Stark, opening a canteen of water and pouring it over his head. He hears the squawk of an animal and looks down to see a compy standing by his boot. He puts the canteen away and pulls out an electric shock prod and charges it. At 38 minutes and 54 seconds, after hearing a description from Burke about how the compies were believed to be scavengers, Dita says it gives him the creeps. It's like it's not even scared. Burke begins to say that there haven't been any visitors to this island and there's no reason for it to fear man. And this ends the 39th minute of the Lost World. Before we get into this bit, I noticed a couple of things from a previous minute that uh, I didn't bring up. You can actually see one of the hunters with a net launcher. Um, I questioned yeah. where that net come from in the previous minute when they're trying to bring down the power, but he's uh, definitely got a net launcher, and that's all he does. He just stands there and watches the other guys with the ropes trying to bring it down. Um, uh-huh. Whether or not it's identical to the one from the Jurassic World, it sort of looks like the same premise. I don't think the technology's improved that much over the years. It's just insert net, pull trigger. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's also a nice callback to the um, first novel where one of the, some of the equipment they had listed in that 
in the Fort Jurassic Park was electric net blowers, which were just net launchers that squeeze the trigger and send an electric pulse and it shoots out the net. Yep. And I can't remember if they ever used it in the in the first novel. I don't think they did, but I do remember that it being there. Mm. They also had cattle prods um, that those made it into the first movie. Yeah. All the workers are fam- famously have those uh, cattle prods. Yeah, from the raptor scene at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, I've been reading a bit of the uh, shooting script too the last few weeks, and uh, there's a bit more here where you actually get Carter with a stencil and a spray spray gun or a paint gun um, painting something onto the leg of the animal once it's down. Number twenty nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think that was the T-Rex, actually. Wasn't that the uh, Thrasher, uh, number 29? I, I believe it is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it's not... <laughs> I imagine it coming back on the boat and not having it and going, nah, this isn't one of ours, it's a knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> because, kids, if you can't see the official Jurassic logo, then it's not Jurassic Park. Yeah. If it's not Jurassic Park, it's extinct. Yeah, that's it. Look for the mark of Jurassic Park. I was trying to think what it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, it's described in the scene too that there is a some sort of taser, or the net is electrified and actually electrocuting the animal as well while it's on the ground, um, wow. which sort of makes that scene a little bit darker. Yeah. More so than just the uh, hog tying pulling to the ground. Um, yeah, really. But um, I'll post it up on the Facebook group this week uh, after last minute. You can clearly see in the script that uh, the scene with Dieter and Burke that we're about to talk about did come before the Ludlow scene and, uh-huh. and Roland. So it's just interesting that they swapped those two out. Yeah. Maybe a pacing thing, but... Uh... It's also an interesting reminder that these movies are not shot in order. They're mm. not shot in chronological order. Yes, I... Uh... I learned that late that it wasn't shot in order. I wasn't wasn't that happy about it. I thought, really? That sounds like a whole lot more work. <laughs> Surely you can just start the start and work your way through. <laughs> That's actually probably easier because it just it, you shoot in the order of whichever uh, scene you got to do first. Like um, if Hawaii is having a bad storm coming towards it, and you you know you shoot those Hawaii scenes first. And then you do the lost. Then you do the redwoods or mm. the backlots or whatever you know. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of. I suppose it all comes down to the uh, the continuity editor or the, whoever's yeah. in charge of that to make sure stuff stays the same. Like, uh, mm. well, I know for sure Jurassic Park. The uh, the Gallimimus scene, them running through the Gallimimus is one of the first things shot. Mm-hmm. Um, yet it's towards the very end of the film, so. Movie magic at its best. Yeah. So uh, we get Burke, get Roland still looking at the trackway from the last minute. Burke, get over here. Uh, you recognise this trackway? Yes, sir, I do. Trenosaur. And then we cut to Roland at his uh, Jeep assembling his shotgun. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is one of those movies' great moments of sound design. I just always loved as a kid the sound of the clicking as all the parts go into place. And he's just checking everything out, and then he clicks it open, and then clicks it shut, and it's that kind of, like, it's just that kind of sound design that I just love about this movie, you know? Yeah, yep. 
Also, notice you didn't load it. <laughs> yeah, right. But also, putting it together now, it's sort of... It shows that it's a weapon he didn't bring here to use as defence. It's here solely to uh, to catch his prize. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot of people actually mistake the gun for a shotgun. It's uh, actually an elephant rifle. It's just a rifle that uses really big slugs. <laughs> and it's used to shoot down elephants, pretty much. Because, I mean, I think in the script, uh, Ludlow asks Roland if he's going to uh, use the gun, his elephant gun, to take how many bullets the elephant gun would take down the T-Rex. He said that if he gets uh, good shots to the brain, it would take like two or three. Which is yeah, interesting if he thinks it's going to take two or three shots, he only takes a, a weapon that can fire twice. <laughs> By that time, he'll be really pissed off. Mm-hmm. The jacket he's wearing has three slots for rifle, like, for rifle slugs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of the, I think it's the right shoulder. Yeah, it's... Pete Fossilfight isn't a uh, overly large man. Um, no, he's not. I could just imagine the kick that thing would have. Oh, God. Because, what, it's a Nitro, Nitro 500 or something, isn't it? Uh, 600, I think. Oh, God. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I mean, videos of, uh, like, people trying to shoot that T-Rex gun, and and they're just getting, like, blown against the wall with this thing. Yeah. (laughs) Just imagine that happening with P-Possible if he ever actually fired the thing. I mean, because you look, it doesn't help that uh, Jeff Goldblum and Vince Vaughn are both like, over six feet tall. <laughs> we have P. Postulate, who was, like, 5'6", or something like that. And so he's, like, just below average height, and everybody around him is above average height. <laughs> well, I suppose that's that's why you get a lot of uh, him standing near Ludlow, because Ludlow's smaller than him again, so... Yeah. Maybe that maybe that's the purpose of RJ, which we'll get to in a minute, the... Uh... Here's the backstop. He <laughs> leans against the back of Ludlow so he can fire, uh, Roland so he can fire. Well, that would be his purpose, really. He would supply the extra ammunition. He would supply any defensive ammunition that they need because when you're out in the bush, there's a lot more than just what you're hunting out there that you got to worry about. you also got to worry about, well, in Africa, you'd have if you're hunting, say, an elephant, you also have to worry about lions, hyenas, Rhinos can be pretty nasty. Then mm. he's on Isla Sorna, so of course they got even bigger and more dangerous animals. We know the Spinosaurus is out there somewhere. We know that there's the raptors. There's the um, there's all kinds of different predators and large uh, herbivores on this island that can and will hurt you. And that's that's sort of one thing, even now where we are in the minute in the the movie. Um... Mm. They're they're really counting on the uh, the predator state of the interior. Yeah. Like there's no there's no real defensive weapons. We see him in the next minute with RJ. He's got himself a rifle, but it's not really when you're in close jungle or something like a rifle's not really going to do much good. Yeah. There's and even a little bit later where we get to the hunters' camp in all the uh, all the scripts and everything. There's some a, sort of a laser-like fence system that goes up around it too keep them mm-hmm. safe where in the film it's completely gone which is probably for the best because we're introducing lasers to this movie now but um it's sort of the whole the whole safety aspect 
even mm. the even the uh, our friendly team are just sort of walking back and forth or driving back and forth willy nearly there's no there's yeah. no real sense of danger I think Ian trying to get that through to Sarah earlier on in the trailers was probably a mm-hmm. good point of that as well mm-hmm. there's also the, the fact that um, RJ is there to be Roland's tracker as well so he has that big backpack on I'm sure he might actually even have a pistol or something in that backpack Oh yeah, I know a lot yeah. of will take a pistol with them for extra defense, especially if they're going into dangerous bush. Yep. And so, he's also in the script. Aj is uh, Roland's tracker as much as he is his uh, like ammo guy. You know. Yep. 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 No, that's alright. We uh, we get a bit more of him in the next bit, so we can bring up yeah. some more stuff on Aj then. Yeah. As Roland's getting his uh, rifle together. The um, Ludlow pulls up in a hardtop jeep, which which has got uh-huh. no no damage to the driver's side door, which confirms this is the second hardtop jeep. So we know now of two. Roland starts walking off, ignoring the vehicle approaching. Ludlow jumps out. Hey, Roland, where are you going? And he's we get the line to click my fee, Mister Ludlow, to click my fee. Uh huh. I love that line. Mm. He's the whole time, Roland is just snubbing Ludlow, like he's just some idiot underling, you know? Whereas Ludlow's used, the one that's used to be treating people like they're the idiot underlings, you know? So it's kind of giving AJ, I mean, not AJ, Ludlow a little taste of his medicine. Yeah, and that's one thing in the, uh, in the scripts as well that we don't get later on in the camp when Ian and the guys are looking down over... The, uh, the camp, they think that Ludlow's in charge, and then Nick says, no, this guy's mm-hmm. in charge, and points to Roland, because he's the one walking around yeah. with, with Dieter, and um, he's in charge of the show, not not Ludlow. Ludlow's paying the checks, but... Well, in the script, we also learn that Nick and Roland have a bit of a history. Yeah. We kind of get that in the scene after the trailers, when Roland says, I recognize you, you're that Earth First pastor. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. That's so on Nick in the script, we learned that he sabotaged one of Roland's hunts because he was hunting jaguars or something like that. In, in, in Botswana? The Botswana or something? Or was it, no, uh, was it? Oh, I remember he was he, he ruined one of Roland's hunts hunting a jaguar with a spear. Yeah, in South America. Yeah. Yeah, But um, we'll also notice here that... Uh, Dita's missing from the scene. He's uh, got up and left, but the uh, Jeep's still parked there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possibly the one that Burke and his offside were in earlier. They've both disappeared from the scene, don't know where they've gone. Um, and I love this little transition here. Ludlow sort of walks after Roland to see where he's going and stumbles and looks down to see he's, uh, he's stood in the T-Rex footprint. I know, and then you get, then he lifts up his foot, and you get to see the juxtaposition of his tiny human foot against a T Rex's foot. Yeah, know? yeah, and I just, I just sort of love this sort of practical stuff where you've got this big <laughs> T Rex indent in the ground. Yeah, um, I kind of wonder how they did that. They just took the Stan Winston leg that Stan Winston Studios made and just kind of pressed it down into the mud, or, or if they had like a um. If they had like a cardboard cutout or something that they had textured up. Yeah, they'd have to have a. They'd have to have something. Maybe yeah. dig it, dig it out, dig it out, then use the uh, imprint to sort of shape the, 
the footprint or something. Something uh, like that. Because they also you can also spot the same footprints over by the trailer during the trailer attack. Mm. You can talk yep. more about that when we get to that minute. Yep. But it's sort of it's it's one of my favourite parts about the uh, ninety seven Godzilla as well, where um, yeah. you've got Matthew Broderick, I'm a scientist, I take um take samples and I study them and the general says, Here's your sample, you're standing in it and you cut out and they're yeah. actually standing in the footprint. But, yeah, those were practical footprints too. Yes, and they were on the ranch for so long. Yeah, they're still there on Hawaii or Oahu. Um, same valley where they filmed the Gallimima scene, actually. Yeah, I was. I don't know what I was listening to the other day. I think it was a Jurassic Park podcast. They were um, saying um, because of the the ranch is a live at working ranch, they had to uh, had to sort of shallow the holes, all the footprints out a bit because cattle were getting stuck in there. They're falling. They're falling into the footprints and not being able to get out. So they had to sort of sh- shallow one of the walls down a bit so cattle could climb back out of it. Uh huh. Well, I do remember in that uh, '98 Godzilla movie that they had little small wooden step ladders in order for the uh, guys to climb in and out of the footprints. Yeah. Yep. Because they're so deep. And then we uh, cut to Dita sitting there, he's pouring water over his head, feeling the heat. Mm-hmm. Um. And we get a nice little shot here of uh, Compy coming back up and uh, sort of snarling at his boot, mm-hmm. which is a good little size. You see the end of yeah. his boot. Yeah. Um, again, all practical stuff here, which is, I think the whole scene's practical, even when it scampers yeah. off. Yeah, um, that, that, uh, that entire thing is just a little rod puppet with a little brewing mechanism inside. Spielberg wanted, or was the one that suggested to Stan Winston that they add, like, a little breathing mechanism inside it so you can see the animal's ribcage fluttering as he breathes in and out. Yeah, and I think it, it adds, it definitely adds to it. Like, if that thing wasn't, we, get one, we yeah. get one scene looking up from below it. Um, uh-huh. If you couldn't see it breathing, then it'd sort of take you out a lot more, but... Um, yeah, it would uh, be, it would venture into the uncanny valley a bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, those old 1980s animatronics that were just kind of uh, creepy. <laughs> they, were, they were lifelike, but then there was nothing about them that was alive. So they just had, they, you just had these puppets and uh, animatronics that moved, but they didn't really move, they didn't really live, you know? Yeah. Whereas Stamson really introduced the idea of animatronic characters, you know? Yeah, you might say they had no soul. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, Sam Winston gave dinosaur a soul. Yeah, yep. But uh, he's got an extendable shock prod, which is sort mm-hmm. of mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, I've sort of worked with some of those um, electric tasers or prodders with cattle, but I've never seen a extendable or telescopic one before. Um, no, I, I've not either. I, I would assume that this was actually... A, Probably a prop that they made for the movie, you know, that just discharged, like, probably, like, I don't even want to say, like, 100 volts, you know, just something that can spark or something, you know? Well, it must be, it must be pure defensive, because I'm pretty sure he's got this clip to his belt. um, Yeah, Along with a lot of the other hunters do as well, so, like Mm -hmm. you were saying before, how RJ might have a, a pistol in his backpack, um... This would probably be one of the uh, the one defensive weapons they've got when uh, the tranquilizer guns or rifles fail. Um, yeah. 
as we see later on when we get to his demise, he, uh, it's the last thing he goes for. It's the one thing he can't use. Yeah, which is, is just unfortunately not ever really used as a defensive weapon. I think in the script, uh, Dieter takes the shock prod to the Paris or Alphys while it's down as well. Yeah, yep. And so he's kind of like just kicking it when it's down, you know? Yep. And he, then here we see him just for uh, laughs and giggles for he sadistically shocks the cop and just so it fears him. Yeah, and it doesn't really... It would, um... If that was the case and we've seen him actually electrocute the Parawaltz down, that it'd sort of... Okay, this guy's got to get it. Um, yeah. Sort of thing, but all... What's on screen, what he does... Yes, he shocks the compie in the next minute, but it's, um... There's nothing really... It's almost like Zara in Jurassic World. It's sort of... He's not really doing a much here. He's, yes, he's leading the, uh... Leading the team when Roland's not there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, and this, no... this is one of those things where, again, The Lost World is one of those movies that you got to choose between pacing or characterization. And like Aj, Dieter kind of gets cut as a character a bit, and he gets chopped down into kind of the side character that we don't really get to flesh out. Yeah. So his sadism isn't really brought through as much in the final film. Yeah. Yep. But uh, we get Burke back here again. Um, we discussed in an early minute the whole stuff here about uh, Comsafus Triassicus. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, all the wrong information. Um, still, still gutted that they've actually gone that way and not made him an expert at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the character is. You can really see it come out here when he's um, when he. When you see a good close-up of him, you see that he's he's a complete uh, backer caricature. Got the jean vest with the flannels and all over, and the wrapped-up white hat. And, I mean, he, he looks like he looks like he's supposed to be cosplaying as Robert Backer. Yep. Yep. And the uh, the actor, of course, Thomas F. Duffy. He's uh, he's been mm-hmm. a fair bit. Um, Super 8, Independence Day, which I wasn't aware of. Um, also going all the way back to MacGyver in 87, so... Mm-hmm. He's, um... He's done a lot of TV, yeah. by looks of it. halfway season. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, a lot of stuff he's done there. I think mainly because he's got the beard, he's got the, the wig on, and the hat mm-hmm. sort of dis- disguises his look a little bit. Um, yeah. But also here too, we've got Peter Stromer back, which we've talked before about uh, his acting credits. Um, mm-hmm. So, great character actor. It's always good to see him on, on screen and see what he's going to do with a, with a character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's good at playing like those kind of uh, half-sadistic, half half-kind um, of nuts characters. Like, for example, we mentioned Armageddon earlier. Where he just plays the crazy Russian. Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, and that's it. He's sort of... He does do a lot of those sort of Russian... Um, Russian-type characters. Or mm-hmm. characters of, the, of that, but... Um, oh, he's... and Lester, I think he's Swedish. Yeah. Because... And when he gets attacked by the compies, he starts swearing in Swedish. Oh, yes, he does, yeah. We'll get to there. 
when we get there, but I do remember that. I have to yeah. uh, see what the what the uh, script says when we get there, and see if that adds any more to the character. Uh, I think it actually was improvised by Peter Stormare that part. Okay. And Spielberg liked it and left it in. Yep. Yep. But we get him here. He's uh he's asking if the uh that the compie gives him the creeps like it's not even scared. Yeah. Um. And is it dangerous? Well, if we've read the books, we know yes, it is dangerous. But yeah. But um, we get Burke's response to that in minute forty coming up. So. Dave, if there's anything else you want to uh, bring up for minute 39. I think we're good. Alright. Alright, guys. Let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website, thelostworldminute.com. You can email feedback to thelostworldminute at gmail.com. Facebook, The Lost World Minute. Twitter, at The Lost World Minute. And Instagram, The Lost World Minute. Easy to remember. Yeah, yeah, very easy to remember. All right. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life.